Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Thursday the 13th of May and today we go right to the top and question the Finance Minister about this week's budget. Not yet a decision of government. It could be earlier, it could be later. Uh, we will follow the health advice as to when and how we reopen the borders. Some key questions Annika and I will ask him will be about the failure to budget money for a quarantine facility, uh, whether we'll be vaccinated by the end of the year, and we'll also ask him about our struggling university sector. That's Simon Birmingham, the Finance Minister, on the briefing in just a moment. First, Katrina Blouse is here as we bring you today's headlines. Hello, Tom. Well, the federal opposition is going to have their chance to respond to the budget tonight when the opposition leader, Anthony Albanese, steps up to the dispatch box for the all-important budget reply speech. It's not a Labor budget because it doesn't increase wages and it doesn't lift living standards. That's Anthony Albanese. He copped a grilling on the project last night. So far, the Labor critique has focused on the sluggish wage growth, which is what he was talking about there. Also, the mounting debt and insecure work. I I think, Katrina, it will be hard for him to land a blow on this budget, though. I think so too, because uh, so many interest groups that I was speaking to yesterday to get their take on what this budget even means, they weren't even able to drill down into the detail. There's lots of big picture statements, but not a lot of detail. So, Scott Morrison and senior ministers have been absolutely everywhere selling these big spending measures. This budget is about securing that recovery that is already underway, but it's about moving from the emergency response measures like JobKeeper and the cash flow support and all of this which has got us to this point and now moving into the next phase of recovery. Yeah, and I think that argument will really land for a lot of people because they are really surprised just how well we're doing coming out of, Mm. you know, what was a massive crisis last year. Yeah, and um, that that narrative from the government is, well, aren't we lucky to be living in Australia? And indeed we are. I mean, from the outside looking in, we we are living in an island paradise. And big vaccine news today. The Australian government's done a deal with Moderna for 25 million doses of their vaccine and the first 10 million are set to arrive this year. Yeah, this means we've got four deals in place right at this point in time. And I guess this one will cover us if that Novavax vaccine doesn't get approval or I guess if there's any more issues with AstraZeneca. Yeah, meanwhile, the federal government's been under fire this week for a lack of clarity on the timing of the vaccine rollout. Uh, The budget was framed on the target of having it done by the end of the year. But on 7.30 last night on the ABC, the Prime Minister pointed out that was an aspiration and not a promise. Here was the language he used. But that could happen with two doses, one doses. It could be many months either side of that. And that will not have a material impact on what is in this budget. I can see my kids using that language. Them doing the dishes is an aspiration and not a promise. Uh, Now, that budget also assumes the borders will open in the middle of next year. But the PM was quick to say he couldn't guarantee that either. And he doesn't know whether Australians will be able to return home without quarantining by that time. Yeah, so this is something that's like, you know, created a lot of conversation um, coming out of yesterday's budget, this assumption that was a bit of a shock to a lot of people that we wouldn't be travelling till um, around the middle of next year because Qantas were already starting to book flights for later Mm. this year. I had a bit of a a tough conversation with my brother yesterday who lives in Switzerland and, you know, people living in other parts of the world that are opening up now can't believe that we're still talking about middle of next year for our borders opening. 
Yeah, I know. And devastating for people who haven't met grandchildren or who yeah. have sick relatives overseas. Another really interesting thing that came out yesterday was the World Health Organization's report into the pandemic. And they used incredible language saying that this pandemic was the equivalent of the 21st century's Chernobyl moment. It could have been prevented had um, countries like China acted sooner, had we called this emergency and stopped travel sooner, and that um really countries were just scrambling in self-interest, trying to uh, have a winner's take all effect of um, getting the most PPE gear and protective equipment to protect their own citizens. So it paints an ugly picture of the world and how we responded. Yeah, there'll be so many lessons to be learned um, from this pandemic. It was interesting on the border conversation that New South Wales, again, has sort of taken a more I guess, open stance, um, you know, willing to take more risks. They want to get the borders open much quicker than the federal government's assumption. And you also had the New South Wales treasurer talking up getting international students back over and above the the quota for return travellers as soon as next semester, which is, you know, July, August. But I guess, Tom, again, when we don't have even a firm date for when we're all going to get that first round of vaccines, let alone the second one, how can we then be talking about international travel with any certainty? Yeah, and the conflict between um, Israelis and Palestinians is becoming more deadly. More than 60 people have been killed and thousands of rockets and airstrikes have been launched from both sides since the violence started flaring up on Monday. Yeah, the UN Secretary-General Antonio Guterres says he is gravely concerned by this conflict. But leaders on neither side have shown any sign of backing down. Both sides are, in fact, blaming each other for the fighting. Ismail Haniyeh, who's one of Gaza's Hamas leaders, says they're ready to take it further. There's been fighter jet strikes on residential apartment blocks um, and a lot of kids have been killed, Tom, which is just dreadfully sad. And in America, the Republican Party have voted to remove one of their senior leaders from office because she was critical of Donald Trump. Liz Cheney was removed from her role as House Republican chair in a vote by Republican politicians after she refuted Trump's claims that last year's election was stolen. Yeah, so she's the daughter of the former vice president, Dick Cheney, and she's been standing up to Trump and she's now paying the price. And this whole story just shows how powerful Trump still is within the Republican Party. He has said overnight on his website that she's a bitter, horrible human being. Oh, my goodness. Um, Yeah, so he's been assassinating her character and now she's being stood down from these roles. Yes, it really does highlight, as you say, how much power he still wields behind the scenes. This is a very fascinating bit of news. Ellen DeGeneres has called it quits on her talk show after almost 20 years. You know, we often discuss these headlines um, while we're getting ready for the show and never have I seen you more shocked than when you read this one. I didn't realise you were such a big fan. Um, uh, DeGeneres. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, I'm, I'm not a fan, to be honest. I, I was really interested in this sort of snowballing critique that she was facing for basically being disingenuous. And we, we actually did a segment on this show about it. We did a full briefing about what's going on with Ellen. Why do people... Why are people turning on her? And there was this strange sort of, I don't know, it, it, it looked like a death roll where there was just a number of controversies about the way she was treating staff. Um, and it all started with this weird picture of her at a, a sporting event with the former president, George W. Bush. And people were like, oh, this doesn't just quite fit right. And, and what we discovered was it, it was just not fitting with her brand of being kind. And there was this sort of sense that, 
she was a she was a phony and it was all marketing and yeah. she really wasn't the nice kind person that she said she was so it was this sort of deep underlying contradiction of her brand value that really set people off and then ratings started to tumble you know she she was talking about relating to people during covid but she was holed up in this mansion and it mm. all, it all just went down really badly yeah, isn't it funny how the tide of public opinion can turn on someone mm. so quickly? So y- you were talking about ratings and it's lost um, 1.1 million people this season in, in the figures, which in Australian terms would be just disastrous. But mm. I guess in American terms, it's still significant, but not not as terrible. But she's um, said that the show is fun, but it's no longer enough of a creative challenge. She's been doing this show for a couple of decades now. Yeah. And as you say, only recently become involved in controversy. Yeah, that's right. It's been a long-running success and I guess, you know, these sort of media storms and controversies can consume everyone's attention, you know, at, at a certain point of a story, but you've got to take into account the much bigger story. All right, Katrina, we'll catch you tomorrow on The Briefing. Uh, in just a moment, Annika and I will grill the finance minister. Time for our interview with the Finance Minister, Simon Birmingham. And it was such a big spending budget, Annika Smethurst. If you could equate the Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, to Santa Claus, Simon Birmingham would be like one of the elves right by his side. Yeah, it's pretty easy when you're handing out money, but somebody has to pay for it, Tom. Mm. And of course, it's never the boomers. No. <laughs> That'll be long gone. So basically, a child born today will be paying off this COVID-induced debt bill until they're 31. So if you're 30... You're going to be paying it off for the rest of your working life. So it's us. It's the rest of the workers. It's younger people that are going to be paying off this huge spending. And yes, we're all happy to do it. But it does come at a cost. Well, that'll be one of the questions we'll ask Simon Birmingham, like what he's got to say to these young people who'll be (laughs) shouldering that burden. Simon Birmingham, thank you so much for joining us. Tom Annika, thank you. My pleasure. This budget looked more like a labour budget to me. Big spending on social services, not a lot of saving measures. Did you ever think a Liberal government would hand down a budget like this? Well, it's a budget that's really true to what we said at the last election, which was we would keep the economy strong to grow jobs for Australians and to provide for the essential services that Australians rely on. At the last election, we said that we would fully fund the National Disability Insurance Scheme, and we are with $13 billion of additional investment. We said that we would hold a Royal Commission into aged care and respond comprehensively to that. And again, we're doing that with $17 billion in additional support for the aged care sector. But an essential part of our plan there in terms of funding these commitments is growing the economy and creating more jobs. And this budget outlines an expectation of unemployment going below 5%, of a further 250,000 jobs being created. And that's in addition to what is already a record level of employment right now. It's easy to be popular, Minister, when you spend lots of money, which is what we saw last night. But um, on this podcast, The Briefing, you're speaking to a younger audience who will be the ones paying back that $1.2 trillion of debt for decades. Now, there was obviously support for skills training. There was a $1,000 tax break, asset write-offs that will be good for young tradies. But apart from that, what else are you doing for these young people who carry this burden? And I guess, would you like to take this opportunity to to thank them for doing that? (laughs) Um, Look, I'm incredibly grateful for all that young Australians do in terms of driving innovation across our economy. And that's why in this budget, we've got uh, part of our plan is how we grow the digital economy uh, across Australia, uh, investing in the skills training necessary to do that. The most 
important thing for our long-term future is to keep employment levels high. There's no ability to fund social services. There's no ability uh, to indeed fund people's private lives uh, without strong employment and strong economic outcomes. And that's why the plan is centred very much on getting growth across those sectors. You're keen to get us into work and that's a good thing. Um, Wages aren't exactly going up and haven't done so for a long time. But we're still in a better position than a lot of the world, aren't we? We sure are, Annika, and uh, it's a very important thing to remember, not just in relation to the pandemic. I think Australians do get that we are in a very good position relative to the rest of the world when it comes uh, to our personal safety and health outcomes from the pandemic. But we're also the only country uh, in the developed world to actually have employment back up above what it was pre-pandemic. So our economy is performing far better than pretty much anywhere else in the world, partly thanks to those strong health outcomes, thanks to the fact that closing the borders has protected Australians. But we're also performing far better than the rest of the world in terms of debt outcomes, that in Australia, we went into the pandemic with much less debt uh, than countries like the UK, the US or Japan. And under these settings, we're able to continue to keep our debt much lower as a share of our economy uh, than those countries. In fact, despite the initial investments in mental health support or in the NDIS or elsewhere in last night's budget, the future forecast for net debt in Australia is lower than what we had in last year's budget. The raging economy, though, has a downside. Young people can't afford to buy houses. We're all told they're going to drop by so much and the reverse has happened. They're going through the roof. Now, you've had a few initiatives, such as single parents being able to just have a 2% deposit to get into the housing market. And also you've opened up um, your program, which allows people to have a 5% deposit and the government go guarantor for the rest. But there's only 10,000 places. Last time they were snapped up really quickly. Couldn't you do more? Well, we'll absolutely be uh, be monitoring demand in relation to those programs. Uh, these are quite new initiatives in terms of the government uh, going guarantor for a, a portion of loans on the basis of there being a lower level of deposit. Uh, they're firmly driven at trying to help people get into the market, knowing that saving for a 20% deposit to be able to avoid mortgage insurance is a huge burden and barrier for many uh, young Australians. And so These policies, which we took to the last election, are implementing for the first time ever in the nation's history in this term of office, are about establishing a model, uh, which we are testing, and as you can see in this budget, expanding, uh, because it does appear to be working. There's also some other things that we're doing, um, such as in the superannuation sector, where by putting in place an incentive and an opportunity for people aged over 60 to be able to sell the family home and put some of those, uh, those funds into their superannuation is good for getting those people to more self-fund their retirement. And that, of course, reduces the burden in many years Mm. to come. But it is also about freeing up stock, housing stock, uh, for people to be able to buy, particularly young families. Yeah, sell those houses to us. Um, Just on that 5% deposit guarantee program you, you spoke about there, you've had a chance to see that this works. As you said, you announced it in the 2019 election, then you implemented it in January the next year. People love it. It seems to be working. Seriously, why only 10,000 places? There are so many more people who need to buy their first home and who are struggling. Why not be more generous here? You've spent money in so many different areas in this budget. Well, this is still a very new concept that uh, that we're pursuing and the impacts of this can sometimes take a while to uh, to see, Tom. Uh, obviously, yes, it's popular 
Uh, and that's a good thing, and that's why we're backing it in with more places than we promised at the election. Uh, but you do have to be mindful of the fact uh, that for uh, over the longer term, we're going to have to assess what the default rates on those uh, those arrangements may be. Uh, and so there is a, a degree of cautiousness there just to make sure that we get that balance right. It's not about uh, providing a free-for-all that then ends up with too many Australians potentially defaulting. Was there a missed opportunity not to um, help solve the quarantine problem, not to spend on a big quarantine facility that means there's not so much pressure on hotel quarantine where we've seen outbreaks, we've seen a limited number on, on travellers that can return. You know, we're at a point where we desperately need international students back. We want to bring uh, Australians who are struggling home. Why didn't you step in and take the opportunity to take control and fund a big quarantine facility that solves a lot of these problems? Hotel quarantine has been very successful for Australia. It's, uh, it's kept uh, kept Australia safe and safely managed 99.99% of COVID cases that come through. Uh, and the leakage or the failures that occur uh, are largely due to human error. And so it's not to say that building a new facility, a purpose-built facility of some sort elsewhere, necessarily changes that dynamic. You still have the risk that uh, you could get a very small, and very tiny, as we are out of hotel quarantine, case of leaks. But still, we do have one uh, more detailed proposal that the states and territories have put forward coming from Victoria, mm. uh, and we are assessing that one uh, that one closely. It, uh, it only came to government a couple of weeks ago, so it was a bit late uh, to get its way into the budget. Okay. Uh, but where states and territories um, have detailed proposals that they want to bring forward to add additional capability or capacity into the quarantine system, we are, as we've said with Victoria, looking at it closely. A lot of the budget's based on the fact the borders won't open until the middle of next year. Now, that obviously has huge ramifications for the tourism sector. You're a former tourism minister. Uh, it also has ramifications for the international students that want to come here and study. And you're also a former education minister. So, why didn't we do more to help those two sectors? Sure, and if you're in the decision uh, or what's in the budget papers around borders opening uh, should be seen very clearly. It's an assumption that informs the ultimate budget outcomes. It's not yet a decision of government. It could be earlier. It could be later. Uh, we will follow the health advice as to when and how we reopen the borders. We had to put, for budgeting purposes, an assumption in there as to when that would occur. But the actual final call... Our position is that we want to open them as soon as possible, but no sooner than is safe to do so. Uh, in terms of those sectors, well, we've got huge support that we've delivered uh, into the international tourism sector, for example, and uh, we've seen some 650,000 flights sold under our discounted airfares scheme that is helping to encourage Australians to move across the country and parts of the tourism industry are incredibly buoyant right now. In terms of the higher education space, uh, we guaranteed uh, some $19 billion uh, funding into higher ed. We've got 30,000 extra enrolments in higher education in our universities and in last year's budget, which is only at the end of the year, and so this was a provision for this year, uh, we committed a further $1 billion in, uh, in top-up research funding for the higher ed sector. Now, these assumptions are, of course, based on the fact we would be vaccinated by the end of the year. Are you confident that we'll be able to stick to that current timeline? Well, it's about uh, ensuring that those Australians who want to be vaccinated uh, by the end of this year uh, have an opportunity to do so. Uh, I would expect that there will still be some people being vaccinated into next year. And again, the decisions that we take ultimately around border reopenings or the like 
will be informed by those factors. Uh, Australians should follow the health advice, which right now is for everybody over 50 to go out, make a booking, get a vaccination. We've seen very strong growth in relation to vaccination numbers in recent times. Uh, We're well in excess of 2.5 million Australian doses that have been administered, and it's crucial that people continue that. And again, there was more funding in the budget uh, to be able to, uh, to help drive our continued procurement strategy and to build and establish an mRNA vaccine manufacturing facility in the long term, which will be really crucial, uh, not necessarily for dealing with immediate doses, but in the long term, there are likely to need to be booster doses. Uh, There's likely, of course, to be other vaccines developed uh, for other things using this new technology. And so we want to make sure we bring the capacity and capability for that to Australia. So that was Simon Birmingham. He's a pretty... um safe pair of hands, isn't he? He didn't give us much controversy there. No, I think you'd be wanting to send him out for regular media appearances. A lot of other MPs that get the government into a lot more trouble, but one weak spot for the government and Senator Birmingham navigated it quite well, but it is an issue is, of course, are we all going to be vaccinated in time to open the borders? And what does the border opening really look like? Because in last year's budget, they promised they'd be opening this year. Now we've pushed it back to next year. Surely we can't push it back another year. Yeah, he was kind of trying to sell it there, wasn't he? Yep, we'll we'll have the vaccine rolled out. You know, we're we're over two million, you know, people when vaccinated it's safe now. Safe to do so, we'll be back. It's like, nah, you yeah. you've been <laughs> so slow at rolling out the vaccine. It's been poorly organised. Um, quite disappointing, given how well we handled the pandemic itself. Um, but as you say, it underpins so much of our recovery strategy. So does quarantine, and it was interesting to sort of push him a little bit there about why they didn't step in and offer more funding for these quarantine facilities. And his answer, I didn't think it was a great answer, to be honest. It was essentially that hotel quarantine pretty much works. I think he's right there. It does for the most part. But when it goes wrong, it goes badly wrong. And realistically, if we can't get vaccinated, it's the only defence we have against this thing. Hotel quarantine does work most of the time, but it's it's mostly the scale of it that I think is the problem, that we just can't get more and more people into the country. And we're going to need them so that this budget isn't a short-term sugar hit and actually helps guide us into sustainable economic growth that goes out beyond the forward estimates. Tomorrow on The Briefing, remember when COVID hit and we went into lockdown and they took all the homeless people off the streets and put them up in hotels? Well, it was a moment where we we wondered whether this would solve the homelessness crisis. And tomorrow on The Briefing, we're going to find out what's happened since. Have they just thrown them back out onto the streets or have people been able to turn the corner and find homes since that moment, that pivotal moment and opportunity? Listener.